Go going in. Hey, going uh, dry. exactly. Going this is uh, Steve and John, and uh, here we are. Um, I don't know what we're talking about today. Uh, it, it is New Year's Day. Day. I am recovering immensely, recovering from last night. I don't know. I don't know about you. I know. Uh, I didn't drink. Yeah, oh, God, dude. Um, Peter Peter's new wife is a tequila drinker. And I went to their house last night and I brought a bottle of tequila with me and her and I did what you and I did with the bottle of rum years ago. Drank it half an hour? Except that it was not in a half an hour. (laughs) We killed this bottle of tequila uh, in the span of uh, three hours, three or four hours. So um, needless to say, I think she's hurting. She was showing more signs of drunkenness than I was, um, but I woke up very much hurting today, like Bali hurting. So, yeah, Bali. Yeah, you know, like those couple times that one of us woke up in Bali. Absolutely. Um, there was a night where you disappeared. I don't know if you remember this or not. Where yeah. you disappeared, and I sat on the porch doing shots of that bottle that we bought in the Philippines, the Filipino airport. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was the, the worst. Oh, you're fine. You're getting over this crap. So, lucky you. You didn't drink. Good for you. Good for you. Still getting over that hand and foot disease, whatever it is. Like, you still don't even know where it came from. Hand, foot, and mouth. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Um, I'll survive. Since we're talking about New Year's Eve, did you have fun? What'd you do? I didn't do anything. Really? Uh, my girl left that day for the drive back, man. Okay. So it was just me in this my new place. So. How's that going? Like you got it all set up? Yeah. You see these boxes behind me? Those are my books. Um, I don't have a bookshelf, so. Books have I have this like I just got rid of like I'd say ninety percent of my books. Like I kept the ones that were really important to me and put the other ones like either just gave them away or kept them in the box. Like there's a lot here I probably should just give away, but yeah. For right now, there's my books. I don't have a bookshelf or anything, so it's books are hard, man. And I know people are always like, You should go to print books more than like on your phone, but like I just don't want the space. I don't want a million bookshelves everywhere. And I don't have the space for books. I, I get both sides of it because I absolutely agree with you in re- that regard, but also, uh, man, like a lot of people say nowadays we should, like, you should have, like, a physical copy of, like, every classic and stuff like that. And I, I get it. Like I said, I, I see both sides of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, it's like, yeah. oh, I can, you know, so. Yeah. Not, not that this is crucial for the recording, but like I'm seeing half your face. Like you're doing, yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't know why you're like. I, 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 I think, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this, this, um, uh, the way that the camera system works, though, like it's, it's capturing all of me. But I mean, not like we're gonna take the video. Video's not okay. coming out. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm just all right. Cool. Are you, I move over this way. Is that better? Well, now it's now it's another way. It was just weird. Like, <laughs> obviously, it doesn't matter, but it's like throwing me off. It's just like, 
You're just like the whole time you're half in the shot. It was weird. How's that? Is that better? Better. All right. All right. <laughs> it could also be the size of your monitor though too. So like if you're like able to, or not the monitor, but your screen, your yeah, browser. Could be. Let me see. Um. All right, John. What are you drinking this evening? I am drinking homemade eggnog. <laughs> your eyes are still red. Like you look yep, like you're that's from, from the fire. I know. I look like I've been hanging out with you, John. No, that's just from being sick. Damn. Sucks. That sucks. So okay, so you're drinking homemade eggnog. Yep. What? What? Like, explain this process because, like. It's just not eggs. Like, there's a whole, like... No, 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 no. So, obviously, uh, proportions for however, whatever size batch you want. So, I take four eggs, separate them, put the four yolks in a bowl with a third of a cup of sugar, whisk that together. Not for very long, you just... When it mixed together, cup of heavy cream, two cups of whole milk, and then I I do about a half a cup, maybe a little more, of bourbon. And then do you roll your bourbon beforehand? Do you like do all the spices that go in? There? No, I mean all those are options. I just pour bourbon in, and then a teaspoon of nutmeg. Uh, I am grinding my own. Great. That's that's like that's hardcore. Fresh right. grated nutmeg is superior to pre-ground. Well, but that's kind of true all the time. But with everything, like fresh, it's yeah. going to be fresh. Fresh metal mint is always going to be better than like yeah. So yeah, or you know any of that. So once that's done, and in a separate bowl, you beat the eggs, egg whites with a tape one more tablespoon of sugar. You beat them to medium medium stiff peaks. And then you fold them into the mix. And then serve with a little grated nutmeg on top for garnish. Okay. Did you use use, uh, eggnog? Some people use rum, but. Yeah, rum tequila. You could use tequila too in your eggnog as well. So let's not get weird here. (laughs) Um, It's not Mexican hot chocolate. I've heard whiskey as well, too. Like you could use whiskey as. Whiskey, bourbon, whatever. Yeah. I, I, honestly, like I think horchata and tequila, tequila. That's the one that I should try next. Is like if I was gonna do something like horchata and tequila. Go for it. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, that's what I'm drinking. Okay. Cool. I I have a question for you though, because I heard this last night, and only you can really truly answer this. I haven't bothered to look it up, but I figured John would know out of all people. The question. Failure. Peter started making martinis last night, all right? And he had made a very interesting claim. Now, for one, he was making a dirty martini with vermouth, which I know you do, but I've heard is like like a faux pas, essentially. Like, right, like it's I've not- heard that too. Yes, I do it. Let me get, get to your... Uh- let me let me stop jump. Let me stop jumping in here. The difference between a shaken and stirred martini is literally this: shaken is vodka, stirred is gin, and that's it. I've heard roughly the same thing. Um, 
I don't really stir martinis, even though I prefer gin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the philosophy behind it is, believe it or not, shaken martinis, or just shaken drinks in general, actually get colder than stirred. The agitation of shaking with the ice actually chills it further down. So when you have something with a lot of subtle flavors to it, like gin, you can actually like squeeze the life out of it out of the gin by shaking it because it's too chilled. Yeah, bruising it in this case is what I heard. So, so it just yeah, it cools it down to the point that you can't detect all the little subtleties in it. So with vodka, that doesn't matter. So shake it. That being said, and one, I'm not using some stupid exotic gin most of the time. I usually just stick with Tangeray. Um, there are other gins I will use for specific reasons. Because gin's got a pretty broad variety. There are some that are just like straight up regular. Like I consider Tangeray to be just gin. Like, yeah, like might as well come in a, might as well come in a bottle of the white label with black rock, black print that says gin on it. Yeah. There are some that are very floral and also fruity and all these different things, which obviously doesn't work for me for what I want with a dirty martini. So, yes, there is a thing to it where with gin, typically you want to stir and vodka, you shake. and But that's why. I just find, I know that, but I just, I find it fascinating that shaking actually makes it colder. That's just one of those little things of science that just, fascinates me is it like is it just the way the molecules work as you're shaking it like or is it just yeah, I, I would guess and i'm sure the answer is out there i just i have not personally looked up the answer i just find that fascinating go back to the other thing yes also the if you're gonna make a martini dirty then don't even bother with vermouth but i still do yeah. Yeah, I know. Like it, it was a weird. It came up in conversation. The most, the, the one that really like struck out to me was the uh, the shaken versus stirred gin versus vodka martini, and I was like, oh, well, let me actually see if that's the truth. It's good, good to hear. Peter has good taste in cocktails. Well, he just you know like Peter fancies himself like as as a fancy drinker. So yeah, know. he's a. But we all we all have our tastes when it comes down to it, right? Like Peter Peter's always going to be more of a Scotch whiskey fan. I'm always going to be more of a like tequila rum fan. Um, you love your cocktails, right? But you specifically love gin martinis. So like it's it's like right, like I don't know. It just I don't know. And the eggnog works for me. That's what I'm drinking tonight. But I actually don't really care for whiskey and stuff like that. Yeah, whiskey upsets my stomach, actually. Anytime I've had whiskey, like, I'll start to get, like, acid, like, really bad acid reflux and stuff. So it's just like, I'll just stay away from it. It's not as good. Which is sad because I have a really good Japanese whiskey downstairs. I just do you? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a coffee, coffee bean, uh, coffee still, coffee. Uh, I can't remember. Coffee still. I will say, Japanese, I'm not even a whiskey fan. Japanese makes some good whiskey. Mm hmm. And one whiskey I actually truly liked is when you came to visit me in Guam. Oh, yeah. That whiskey at the bar that night, that was, I, I can't even remember what it was called. Something Night. I remember Night was in the name, but I was just yeah. like, this is really good. I'm not even a whiskey fan. I like this. Yeah, I, I love, 
think it was Mr. Baseball, uh, where they were like, other cultures have invented things, the Japanese have just made it better. <laughs> right? Like, And I'm like, I could get behind that, because, you know, I could, like, hence beef. Like, beef technically is, like, a very, like, American culture, you know, the way that we raise it for steak and all that stuff. And the Japanese turn around, like, wagyu that shit. And Wagyu beef is far superior than most beef that you'll ever find in the American market. So, um, which another thing I find there was a YouTube guy, the bar, the bar guy. I haven't watched him a long, long time, but I sent him, sent you a couple of inches. Mm-hmm. And when he kind of did his breakdown on whiskey, and like he went over like legal definitions, like what is bourbon legally speaking, what is yeah. legally speaking, and all these different things. And he didn't. He, he stayed Japanese whiskey for last, and he didn't spend too much time on it. But I, I don't, what I thought was funny, that there's no rules with Japanese whiskey. Yeah. Like, in America, if you make something, if you do it this way, you're making bourbon. If you do it this way, you're making scotch. What the hell? Japan is the free-for-all. But they make good stuff. Have you ever noticed, though, like, the best-tasting drinks sometimes are the ones where they try to break convention? So, for example, like, you know, they'll take red wines all the time, and they'll be like, we put them in bourbon barrels, right? So instead of, like, aging them in their own bourbon, we've decided to... And it comes out, like, there was this red zen that they put... Uh, it's a Denver... Um, a Denver uh, uh, winery, right? Like, uh, they get all their grapes from... California or whatever, and so they were making a red zen, and they partnered with a distillery that's down the street for their bourbon barrels, and they put the zen in the bourbon barrels, and that's how they aged it. And you got it back, and you're like, "This is a really like it's sweet because of the like the wine adds this like layer <laughs> sweetness, and then the the bourbon adds this, like nice like kind of just bitterness to it that was that was beautiful, and so." Like when when these companies try to break convention, like it comes out really well. There is a tequila. There's a tequila that I want to try that actually takes cab barrels. Uh, they age the tequila for eighteen months in cab barrels, uh, and so it comes out like pink. So you get the floral notes of like the cabernet on top of like the agave notes and the vanilla and all that other stuff. I'm like that might taste really good. Now I'll be walking around drinking a pink drink. I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. You know, but whatever. <laughs> I'll drink a cup. Yeah, I know you will. You've done it too in front of me. Yeah. Which? Uh, last time we got together for drinks, I think you ordered a Cosmo someplace. What? Or was it? I know you've done it, dude, because I was making fun of you. Maybe that's what it is. And your bikini martinis and shit like that. Like, you know. So. Yeah, those are good. I know, I know. The panty droppers. <laughs> That's really what they are. Now you said that I made. I thought you were thinking of there's a panty dropper bunch, but that's uh. <laughs> John, we're having a party at your place. Um, we're just gonna go to Virginia, and you can you can make like a big old like tub of jungle juice or something. You know, works for me. <laughs> Just me. Oh. <laughs> so you're gonna come to my place, and I'm gonna panty dropper. Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna drink. And shit you and me are gonna sit alone in my apartment and drink panty dropper. Yes, that's yeah. that's your plan. That is my plan. Yeah, because I can't think of a better one at this point in time. So, all right, let's do it. 
Let's do it. Um, all right. Well, I'm drinking. Uh, we'll, we'll get. I'm, I'm being boring, like as always, but I'm just drinking this awesome red wine called I Melee, which stands for One Mile, uh, which is uh, Francis Coppola Petite Not anything special, um, but the last one that I will probably drink from the Coppola family. So, what's that? Well, I, 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 so I went with Caduceus as my new wine club. And so I got, I got rid of, uh, the Francis Ford Coppola one, uh, and all the wines that they've been sending me, they've been literally sending me the same wines of like, here's the cab, here's the director's cut cab that they've sent me in the last three shipments and stuff. I'm just like this, I, I'm tired of it. Like, I don't need any more, you know, like I've got enough. Um, you couldn't take my wine club idea. You just had to go your own route. Hmm? Which one was yours? Costello de Amorosa. I don't think that you ever sent that to me, though. I know that's I that. Cat- never sent it to you, but I told you about it. I told you that I actually legitimately considered their wine club for a while. But that was the that was the place where I was like, oh, because wine was just wine to me. Yes, there were ones I liked better than others, but it was like, ah, eh, wine. That was the first time I ever took a sip of something. I was like, oh, this is what quality wine is like. Like, that was the first time I was like, oh, I get it now. Well, so here's here's the deal. Like, their wine club, I'm actually on their wine. I'm looking at their, their waiting. They have a waiting list right now for their wine club. Jeez. So, and I, I did this. Like, I did sign up for the uh, Caduceus Cellars Wine Club. I, I did their like waiting list for that, and that just popped. Like they were like, "Oh, here's the wine club." So I'm gonna like I love Caduceus. I love that that vineyard to begin with. Like I, the I wines that, that you've you've tried it before, haven't you? Maybe you you know it's Maynard James Keenan's wine, right? I think you brought that once. Maybe I didn't try them. Like if I did, it would have been at your place. So okay, yeah. Um, like, you can find, like it's funny how like more known it's because, like you can get it in more places than when it first came out like it was very difficult to find right my, now i find it everywhere so my my friends back where i just moved from you know they would they travel a lot so they, you know house sit and stuff like that and they're very very generous people like he has a beer fridge and i'm not really drinking beer anymore but he's like yeah help yourself kind of thing mm-hmm. So my girl came to, to hang out with me one night when I was house-sitting for them last time. And so they're in a wine club, and I, I'm spacing which one it is off the top of my head. For, forgive me for that. Uh, so we're just like, oh, let's pop one open. And what was weird is I got oddly intoxicated that night because I ended up going through like two bottles of wine, and I think I ended up having a beer too or whatever. Was. Oh, shit. And so the next morning I was like, did we just do this? Did we, like... I feel like I really abused my friend's hospitality right here. <laughs> and that was made worse, so I looked at the wine, and one of them wasn't too nondescript. Like, uh, I, I checked, I looked it up online. Uh, maybe it was $25, $30. I don't, I don't remember. But another, the other one was like a $90, $100 bottle. I was like, oh, oh, crap. Uh, let's throw this away and hope they don't notice. Like, this is... And I did bring it up to him later. It was just like, so when we were last here, 
And we ended up drinking like two bottles of wine you had hanging up because they have this like thing in the wall that holds like three bottles of wine, like decorative wall art. It looks cool. And that's where we got it from. And I was like, so yeah, we looked it up and one of the bottles we drank was like $90, $900. So I'm like, please don't be mad at us. Like, <laughs> and they, they were cool. It was just like, but it was like a lesson learned for me. I'm like, okay, don't just start taking people's mind off the wall, off the wall. Like, it is like, like I, I have my really like the special bottles, like in a very specific place on purpose. Um, cause they, they, they do become like more display, more display, like nobody's going to look at it and be like, Oh, that's a bottle of mercury head. That's a $130 bottle of wine. Right. Like there's like, that just doesn't pop up in normal conversation and people aren't going to really pay attention to it anyways. Right. Um, but to me, like I have them because one, the bottles look really cool or, you know, they just, so like part, like two ones that I have from Cobra are in the, um, uh, gold bottles, uh, and they're basically to commemorate the uh, <laughs> Academy Awards for that year. So I've got two bottles that that Coppola like purposely puts together and hands out as part of the Academy Awards celebration and stuff like that, right? And like those are on display, even though I can go to the Coppola website and get them for like thirty bucks a pop, right? It's not that like, but they're really cool bottles, right? But then also I have like. A couple hundred dollar bottles that are up there just again for that old display purpose, right? It just looks good, kind of thing. So, when will you drink them? The hundred dollar bottle, yeah. Um, I gotta, I don't know, like, I keep asking myself that exact same question, like, when would be a good time to drink this, or why would I drink it? What would be the occasion? Because I'm gonna be honest, man, I don't have like okay, occasions. Yeah, like, I don't really have those types of occasions very often. When I was at your place, when I came out to your place for, for um, uh, Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, yeah, yeah, when you're in South Carolina, those couple bottles that I brought with me, if you remember, mm-hmm. those were $80 bottles, like, both of them were $80 bottles. But it was, like, to me, like, that was the occasion, was I got to share this great bottle of wine with you. And you're not a big wine drinker anyways, but still, like, it was, like, important for me to bring those out and, like, have that type of experience. Right? So, uh, more of a wine drinker, I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's how it usually goes. That's how it starts, man. Um, so, I don't know. The Mercury had, it's such a cool bottle. I feel bad about even just opening it because it's it's literally just, it's the bottle, Right. And the only, it doesn't have a label. There's no physical label in the front or the back. It's literally a mercury head dime embedded in the bottle. So, like, it's hard for me to even want to open that because I know once I open it, the bottle goes away. And I don't really want that bottle to go away. It's so fucking cool. Like, it's so, like, it's unique. Why can't you keep the bottle? Where would I put it? Like, it would just be an empty bottle sitting somewhere. It feels weird. Okay. I get that. It feel, you know what? If, if I have an empty bottle sitting out, it feels like high school, I have a collection of alcohol bottles sitting on top of my fridge kind of thing. You know? I get that. So. Did I send you that picture of the wine I had on Christmas Eve? Mm-mm. I don't think you did. Oh, should... wait. That was, the, that was the, the fool or the jester or something, right? Chateau Le Grand Fari. 
So yeah, maybe. I was with I was uh, to the, my friends that I were just talking about. His best friend lives up here, not like really close to me, but pretty close. So last time he was down in South Carolina visiting my friend, and uh, you know we were talking, and I'm on my way up here. Yeah, he uh, we exchanged numbers, and he was just like you know. He invited me to his church a couple of times, which was very nice, but I'm too far away from it where I live now. Yeah. And then he invited me to his wife's family's get-together for Christmas Eve, again, because I'm up here, new in Virginia, don't know anybody in the area. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's where I went. And his wife's Brazilian, so whole family's Brazilian, and her father? Because so, we were at her sister's house. So I don't know if he's a father or grandfather. Didn't speak very much English. And he was going to, he was making Negronis for people and just serving scotch to people and all this stuff. And he came and he poured this glass uh, for me. So, yeah, now, now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of want to price this. Uh, very nice house. So it turns out the brother-in-law, so... This guy's mm-hmm. wife's brother-in-law, the guy's house we were at, is a neurosurgeon. Her sister, so the wife, is like a general practitioner doctor. So it's two doctors. Okay. Because I drove up to this house like, wow, this is a nice house. So I was talking to him. I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's a doctor and he's a neurosurgeon. I'm like, well, that explains it. Very lovely people. Very lovely people, but just money. There was just yeah. serious money all night. Oh, yeah. Now, now I'm curious about this one. Anyway. I wouldn't necessarily say I enjoyed it that much, though. And I mean, like, the smell. Like, you put it to your face, olives. And I mean, olives just in your face. That is the weirdest, like, like you put a glass of wine to your face that is just not a smell you're expecting. White wine or red wine? It was red. Oh. And, see, and here it says it's 60% Merlot. It's a blend. 35% Cabernet Franc and 5% Cabernet Sauvignon and Melbeck. <laughs> Interesting. I was. It's. I don't know the difference between a Cab Franc and a Cabernet Sauvignon. Like, it's interesting because it's almost like the same grape. Yeah. Um. And my girl, she was trained as a sommelier once, so it's always nice that she's able to uh, to come up, like, have an idea about it. Hence why she drinks a lot of wine. <laughs> did you say, did she, is she like a wine a night drinker? Yeah. She doesn't necessarily go through a whole bottle by herself, but yeah. So that was a $60 bottle. I just looked it up. It's not too bad. Like, not too bad. Yeah. And it's actually, it is an actual French wine or whatever. But uh, yeah, I would just like olives. Like, it was just weird. So yeah, I'll admit I didn't really care for it, but I just I drank it down to make sure it was gone. I okay. didn't take any of the harder stuff because they lived an hour away, so I had an hour drive there and an hour drive home. So I wasn't gonna take advantage of his. Like, I wasn't gonna take advantage of his hospitality with like scotch and stuff. Because yeah, he was just booze. People going around, he's just filling them up with booze, and he's making cocktails and like. 
I gotta be honest, the more and more and having like moments like I did last night and leading in today, like the more and more I feel like I've actually gotta give up like just booze in general. Just like forget it. Just walk away from it. Like I it's weird to say, but like cause I love drinking, not for the intoxication of effects of it, but for the social aspect is a huge one. Like drinking and social is just such a big like interplay, right? Um, and then the taste, like you, you know, you understand that the taste yeah. of alcohol can be quite, quite good. So, um, especially, well, that, yeah. Um, <laughs> part of me with cocktails is I enjoy making them. Um, yeah. and that was a couple of times, like in Guam, I went to a party. I didn't even know anybody. Um, it was my now ex, but. Like, she knew the light wives, so she invited me. It was some guy's birthday party. Didn't know her. And I set up, took my bottles, you know, my, my handmade ingredients and all that. And I had a bar on their back porch. And I served drinks all night. And that was so much fun. I, yeah. I mean, when you came into Denver, when you visited that time, um, and you came over to Angie's, right? Mm-hmm. And what did you do? You literally set up bar. And you made drinks the entire night for everyone. Like, that's all you did. So, I get it. Like, that's for you. Like, that's a huge piece of that. So. I'm saying this without ego, but I kind of feel I was the life of the party that night. Yeah, I'd say so. Like, you impressed a lot of people. Everyone's like, damn, John's making good drinks. So, you know. Um, and, and then coupled with that, I'm just very sociable in that scenario. <laughs> Well, I'm not, and then you're gonna go dance with Angie for a little. I'm bit not. Um, usually that extroverted. I'm actually pretty extroverted, which a lot throws a lot of people off. Because um, when they first meet me, and I'm quiet, they don't know. Yeah, that's true. I come across as very introverted until I don't. And what there was an earlier podcast where we actually talked about this job, where it was just like people tend to get put off by you very easily and very quickly in general. Yep. And tell like, it's just, you know, but it's the way you are. So it's just, and until people get to know you, they're kind of like, I don't. Yeah. Do Anybody who can make it through that very long, shall we call it, uh, <laughs> uh, he grows on you like a pimple that you didn't really know you had. <laughs> You get you meet me. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. He's a pretty nice, decent guy. Cool. Yeah. Get to know me a little bit. You're like, oh, he's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, he's weird. I don't like him. <laughs> Anybody who can make it through that period long enough to just sort of kind of get me my very, you know, whatever sense of humor or whatever like that. Yeah. Like you did. Yeah. Which did Christine have any of that? I'm curious. Did, did, no. No, okay. So she just liked you immediately. Mm-hmm. She's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost scary in in its in its in a weird way that she didn't go through that growth period with you, right? Like, do you find that kind of like off putting a bit that like you know how it generally is, and then here's this girl who comes along and she's just like, I like this guy. I don't know. Has she seen the real you? That's my question. Like you, uh, like I can't imagine that she hasn't seen the real you. I think so. 
Okay. I've never seen like, like I've never seen myself under wraps or anything like that. I'm no, and I, I've never seen you two interact in person together. Like I've never like I, so I don't know like how mm-hmm. you are around each other or anything like that. Like eventually, I I, I think that it'll happen. You two. Is that a, what was that? Yeah, do you need to duck and cover? Fireworks outside your uh, apartment, maybe, to celebrate the uh, New Year? Do we need to pause for you to go check? (laughs) Make sure everything's okay up there. I don't hear sirens or anything, so. Mm. I was a little worried about moving here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not in the ghetto. Well, I picked where I picked very clearly to not be in the ghetto, but, uh, you know, the ghetto spreads far here. uh, So yesterday I thought I heard, like, gunshots. Now, where I was living in the country, I heard gunshots every night. Didn't bother me because. Those are redneck gunshots. You don't have to worry yeah. about redneck gunshots. They're, shoot, gunshots. They're, shooting, they're shooting the target, you know, the, the target that's in their backyard. There's a world of difference between redneck gunshots and ghetto gunshots. <laughs> oh. Ghetto gunshots <laughs> meant to kill. <laughs> so I start hearing some things that sound like gunshots. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's New Year's Eve. Those are fireworks. And sure enough, there's a lot of fireworks going off right at the night. Today... There was like a pop, 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 pop. I'm like, what the fuck? And sure enough, it was like immediately followed by sirens. And I like no shit pictured in my mind. Like somebody like in a car chase, like shooting a gun out the back towards the cop car. Like that's honestly what I thought. But that was. That was really close too. That, that was, was like close. Sounded like it was in your apartment. Well, to me, it almost sounded like at very first, like somebody threw something against my window, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But. You're going to go out there tomorrow morning, you're going to find a gunshot, like a gun, like a bullet hole somewhere in the... <laughs> That's all right. When I, when I lived in uh, Northern California, I had to play that game um, where I lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, gunshot firework a lot. defeated Colorado by a score of 80 to 76 yesterday. What the fuck? Serious stop. Um, like, it, it, like, I did have to play gunshot firework all the time. Though. Like, mm-hmm. it was just constant, like... You just you just never know, right? Like, um, and I and I lived in the ghetto. Like, it was the, considered the armpit of the Bay Area. So you know, but it was. Hey, you do what you can do for cheap rent sometimes. And considering, yeah. like, you know, I was making good money, but again, when you're living in Northern California, like the Bay Area, everything like it, it's it's hard to find cheap out there. Like, yeah, so, you know. yeah, so, that was so weird. Like. I feel like that rattled my windows. Yeah, well, like, I, I heard it. It sounded like something in your apartment dropped. Like, it literally sounded like something like something in your Yeah, apartment. no, that was outside, which I know you can't see my face. And for you to have heard it, you would have had to have heard it, heard it through this. Yeah, yeah. So it was loud. It was yeah. loud as fun. I wish I hadn't had this on for that moment, just so I could have, like, I could have identified it better. But. Uh do you need to go check it though? Just to be like, we can pause for a minute if you need to I'm check. Gonna check. I don't know. Stick your head out. Well, no, don't stick your head out. Yeah, fuck no. 
<laughs> so how are things going, man? Like what's what's been new? What's been what's been happening in your world? Like you know, you moved out. You you're still going through the court shit right now. Okay. This is not. I have to be there, and my presence is required. But this is not my doing. This is. This is the ex's doing. No. Um. I know, like nobody listens to us, but it's just like, how much of my personal life do I want to put out there and all that? But no. So the the last court date we had, the judge appointed a guardian ad litem. Mm-hmm. So the guardian ad litem has filed a motion against her. Yeah. And then my attorney has filed a motion against her for something else. The court, the judge uh, ordered her to provide a financial declaration within 10 days. Keep in mind, this our court date was August 1st. This is January 1st. Uh, so by August 11th, basically, she had to provide a, a financial declaration. On September 21st, my attorney sent her a notice saying, you didn't do this, provide one within 10 days, or I will file a motion against you. And she didn't, so he filed that motion. So this is court for these two different motions, which I guess both of them are contempt charges against her. Oh, again, this, that's like jail time, if, if possible. I should be so, I should be so fortunate. Um, <laughs> Because also she has done nothing. She has not complied with the guardian ad litem. She's provided no deposit because we each had to basically pay a deposit or a retainer, sorry, of $750. She didn't do that. She didn't respond to any uh, attempts at contact that the guardian ad litem reached out. Um, But she did go to the house. And I think that's actually what this charge is against is the state of the house. Yeah. Um, it's not good. And then, yeah. It's it's interesting in that, like, how she's acting like it's like she's she's refusing to be an adult. Well, right? considering you yourself, know I'm about this in the past. yeah, like there's just this weird refusal to actually act like an adult and take care of the things that like she's just it feels like she's burying her head in the sand. Yeah. Hoping that it goes away. It does. It's really weird. Like, you or I would have this thought process of, like, well, this is real shit happening. I have to take care of life. Yeah. So, I don't know. I know. It's it's just every single time you've told me some of this stuff, I'm just like, shit. So, what, like, with this court case, what's going to happen? Like, essentially, they're... She, you're going to show up, and this is a contempt charge against her, and you're just there to listen, or are you there to provide details? I don't know. Huh? I just know that this, this time in court, this is not me filing anything. Yeah. So you're going to end up there basically just hearing it out. Okay. Well, hopefully she goes to jail. <laughs> Sweet, sweet revenge for the shit that she pulled on you last year. Um, Doc, I, like I said, I should be so fortunate. I know, I know. So, um, all right, what do we want to talk about tonight? We didn't really set a plan. We didn't. Uh, 
So let's 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 talk about something. Heck, we've already eaten up forty minutes. So, well, no, let's keep it going. Um, what, I, what I did bring up a little while ago about American Psycho. Oh yeah, I and I, so this I guess this would be more of a question from my part, and I guess worthy of discussion. And I wanted to ask you because you you've actually been you went to cinema school mm-hmm. and so film school and now I know that was probably I'm guessing more of the actual craft yeah the like the technique they I, I would call it more of a technical vocational school what I went through versus like you know you see sometimes in like movies or whatever they show the UCLA film school and they're like showing the film and mm-hmm. then they like and blah 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 blah, you know, and then they give this long lecture about that specific mise scene and everything that's going on. So, mine was more vocational. It was just like, here's how to pick up a camera and actually fucking use it. Um, now, I did have film studies classes, uh, you know, um, things like uh, like film noir, um, that sort of thing, um, French New Wave. So like there were, so I did get like indoctrinated in that kind of way as well, you know, scene structure, uh, camera structure, all that stuff. Um, so I did get that as well, but, but the core of it was more vocational. Like here's how you write a script, write a script. Here's how you produce and set a budget. Now go do that kind of thing. So, okay. well, I, so I guess mine would be more of just a straight storytelling idea mm-hmm. in, in terms of like crafting a story. So I know a long time ago, I say a long time ago, this wasn't that long ago, but relatively uh, a while ago, I brought up American Psycho and I had um, seen something about it that I thought was pretty crazy uh, because um, I had just taken that movie to be kind of a weird little gem, somewhat of a dark comedy, which it has dark comedy elements to it, definitely. Uh, There's just some lines out of there that are just so out of left field you can't help but laugh at them. Um, But looking into stuff, how it was actually a pretty serious case study into a psychopath. Within reason. It's still a film. still Hollywood. But I think the question is, like, the film didn't even answer this definitively until the, like the sequel was made. Right. But was he actually killing people in real life or was he just hallucinating those? Yeah. Like one breakdown I saw of it. And I think this is actually what spawned my first conversation with you. Kind of came to the conclusion that it was like 50, 50. Hmm. Uh, Anyway, uh, and the thing about that, I wouldn't, and especially because so much of that, there's actually so much narration and inner monologue in that movie. You could almost call it Confessions of a Psychopath, maybe. Yeah. So in the sense that when I learned that it actually did a really good job of representing psychopathy within reason, again, uh, maybe not things out and out that a psychopath would flat out admit to, but like examples of character patterns and the one that really comes to mind is when he's arguing with his fiance in the car mm-hmm. and she asks, well like if you hate it so much why don't you just quit and he leans over and he's like because i want to fit 
in than us. Fitting in, maybe might be more accurate to say blending in, is very important to psychopaths. Yeah. Hence, like, you like you hear the, the stories about, like, Gacy and, um, you know, Dahmer and stuff like that. I don't know. The, if they were psychopaths, I doubt they were. Um, Dahmer keep in mind, that's not a term. Yeah. There's an actual clinical definition for these terms. Um, now, credit, and this is my, I've only been, I've only read about it. I don't have a clinical degree of any kind. Or Hold on one sec. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was above yeah. me. Uh, no, it's it, it, like it's so it's so weird because I hear shit like happening, and it sounds like somebody's either coming in your house or something like that. So, well, that's, at first I thought somebody was knocking, but. My dishwasher is actually working too. I'm in a relationship with my dishwasher. The um, it's it's so funny though the 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 shit that happens like in your new pl- in like new places and you just get used like you're trying to get used to the sounds you know so yeah so anyway what was I saying so yeah I don't have a clinical so from what I've looked up on this, I don't know if that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Because most people they hear psychopath and they think axe murderer. That's yeah. not the case. It's there's actual clinical definitions. And also kind of what's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? One of the things that kind of uh, when I've read my research about this is psychopaths are born, sociopaths are made. Um, Interesting. They do have a lot of the same traits. Okay. Um, sociopath, like one very pretty obvious example of a sociopath that was very famous was Casey Anthony. Oh God, yes, um, yeah. And sociopaths um, have very like like strong persecution complexes, and then. Like anything that goes wrong, they're not to blame. There's only yeah. circumstances and all this stuff. Psychopaths tend to, for all for better, for better or worse, function very well in society, almost too well. They're both pretty adept at manipulating people. Mm-hmm. Um, sociopaths will just kind of tend to do it in like a whinier sort of in a state of like, you know, just always trying to get people like, you owe me this or blah, 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 stuff like that. Yeah. Sociopaths, even though they might not necessarily be more or less intelligent than any other person, psychopaths have this really like a sixth sense almost for exploiting weaknesses. Like they just can like, it's just, it's almost terrifying how well they can just size a person up and just get you to dance to their tune, exploiting whatever it is about you. 
Oh. Um, okay. And it's, you know, it's not that they are murderers or anything like that, but uh, just they both have tended to very, very strong lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. They just can't feel bad for bad things that happen for people. They can't really feel bad about doing bad things to people, either one. Um, sociopaths tend to not function very well in societies. Sociopaths kind of tend to fall apart. Kind of always struggling, always struggling with relationships, finances, holding a job, all these things. Whereas psychopaths, there's been some speculation that quite frequently a lot of CEOs are psychopaths. Yeah. Just because they don't think anything about stabbing people in the back and climbing, you know, climbing the ladder any any way they they can. Well, you also hear all the time, like you know, the, the term that's being thrown around a lot. I think you uh, you would agree with this, like. The term narcissist is thrown around probably way too much in our society, right? Um, and now that's the third of the triangle, which doesn't yeah. really apply to this, but so that's but, the, the, the dark triad. Yeah, and I've yeah. heard that CEOs tend to be very narcissistic yeah. in that, like, you know, like if you look at Elon Musk, you could easily say, yeah, he has some narcissistic tendencies. Okay, but is he like a true narcissist? Who knows? And I'm not gonna go in like a pro-Trump or anti-Trump direction, but think of Trump. Yeah, like again, everybody's like he's a narcissist. Well, yeah. is he or is he not? Like he has some narcissistic, and, and it could be one or the other. I think narcissism doesn't really play into like functionality. Yeah, like in terms of like what psychopathy and sociopath, and then like for intense persons of this. Narcissism is simply just self-love. Yeah. Whereas, like, psychopathy, which I really want to focus on, is a straight-up condition of just being unfeeling, uncaring. And, like, in the movie, talks about, like, they are, again, they blend in very well in society. They function very well. But it's all just a facade. Yeah. There's no actual empathy. There's nothing there to... the movie, and that's why I talked about how that movie did a very good job of, if not being a literal idea of like an actual psychopath, explaining the traits and the characteristics. And the way, like, he in the movie, he talks about like, you know, women's rights and starving countries, you know, starving populations in Africa. And like, he'll go on these feels in the movie about like we need to do more for this and that but he doesn't care yeah it's all this just it's all fake it's all just a shell and how in the the narration of the movie when he's being real and he's talking to him about his true self to the audience he's explaining all that there's just like there's nothing here yeah you know um and uh one of my favorite lines in the movie is, I have no more human emotions except greed and disgust. And I was just like, wow, that's just, wow. So anyway, and this is only getting to the first half of like what I wanted to actually talk about. So there's all that. And I, I mentioned that to you before, but uh, this is a, a great rundown of actual psychopathy in a character. Yeah. That fake that fake facade, personality, lack of empathy, all this stuff. Just recently, I found a YouTube channel I started watching. Uh, he's called Moon. Um, 
and he does more or less really two types of videos. Uh, he'll do one about like whatever evil corporation, which are very good because he, I like he talked about Netflix. I never because he actually does a full history. I actually heard how Netflix started. Yeah. Always, it's always like how this movie tried to warn us, and it's always like the same message about you know these movies all were trying to warn us. Same message, and he's done one for Taxi Driver. He's done one for The Matrix. He's done one for Joker. A couple others, and obviously he did one for American Psycho. And this is what kind of got my thinking about it. So I watched his his breakdown of American Psycho. And how the movie's not necessarily about him as a character mm-hmm. so much as the things around him and just the the superficial malaise of a society, a decaying society that doesn't care about anything except vanity and all that stuff. And, it, and like one of the best examples he gave in that is like after he kills the one guy and he's like using that coat thing. Yeah. That coat bag to hide the body in the trunk because he's putting it in the trunk. And somebody on the street like that knows him is like, oh my God. He's like in like a moment of panic and he's just like, where did you get that bag? And, you know, explains it and goes on about this. So like he, like he just murdered somebody and he's hiding the body. But all this person cares about is the bag. Yeah. And he made a lot of good points about that. And he, he did make a, lot, a bunch of good points and something that I didn't think about how there are red flags with this guy and it was just like nobody notices like and that's kind of what the, what the moon video is about it's like like everybody's so wrapped up in their own little world in that movie and he was kind of explaining that's what the movie's about you know yeah people do not respond to things in that movie like they should mm-hmm. And the more I started thinking about it, it's like, well, I'm not really finding any flaws in his logic and his explanation of his movie. But everything I knew before about it being like a breakdown of an actual psychopath makes so much sense, too. So now we're actually getting to the question. Yeah. How frequent is that in cinema? Or (laughs) just storytelling in general, where you're actually, you're basically telling two different stories at once. And I don't necessarily mean like, weaving plot threads that come together, but like, is this movie actually both? And if it is, are directors, writers, actors, are they actually smart enough to do that? And if so, how often does that happen? So, it's interesting because, um, it, it's, it's funny because I'm watching uh, The Offer right now. I don't know if you heard about this or not, but it's, it's like a mini-series based upon the making of um, uh, the Godfather. And what's interesting is in, in it that you have the Godfather is based off a book by Mario 
Kizo? Kizo? Um, and I think like he wrote it in 1967, 68, right? For, uh, uh, it wasn't even Francis, but it was Paramount Pictures that optioned it and said, oh, yeah, this would make a great mafia movie, right? Because the book was written as a mafia book, right? But when Coppola was brought on board, what's very interesting is the theme that Coppola saw in it was, yeah, we're making a mafioso movie. We're making a movie about American crime. But we're also making a movie about a family dynamic, a family, right? And their interplay and how they work as a family together. That was his big thing. He was like, I want to show an American capitalist family who just happens to be criminals. So, like, you could say, like, a good story is sometimes written that way. Right, like where you do have piece of American Psycho, like showing like the one side of it of just like how people miss these like cues and that kind of, like the making of a psychopath, right? Or you know, and then the other side of it, right? So I, I could say that it's it's pretty like in my opinion, like it could be pretty prevalent, you know. The really good movies are probably really, really do focus on something like that. I just, I would get So, what other movies come to mind? Like, as we're talking about this, like Joker comes to mind, and I think I, I texted you a while back about like rewatching Joker, right? And that's a really good movie. Like that's the that's the juxtaposition, in my opinion, of of where American Psycho is about a psychopath, Joker's about a sociopath. So now that's a, the first video that I ever I watched years and years ago, or mm-hmm. a couple years ago, spawned the first time we talked about American Psycho was it's a channel called The Vile Eye. And he just does breakdowns of different different villains. And yeah. I just watched his Patrick Bates one. Um, but he he did one on the oh no, I'm sorry. So sorry. Big shout out to his his stuff. But no, there's a, a different YouTube channel that I'm not that's that does he is a clinical psychologist, I believe. Yeah. And he does do breakdowns of different characters and their mental issues. And he goes into Joker. And again, because like I said, most people, they hear the term psychopath and they just think axe murderer. Yeah. Uh, So obviously that's a term that gets thrown around a lot with Joker. And that was one he shot down right away. Um, Because for one reason is Joker, in most renditions of Joker anyway, doesn't care if he dies. And in fact, to him, it's part of if he can, if he can somehow finally force Batman to kill him, he'd consider it a win. Yeah, and that is absolutely not a psychopath. Psychopaths will do anything to avoid death. And I, if I remember correctly, I think he he dismisses sociopathy too for the same reason. That that's the big that's the big indicator that he's neither a psychopath or a sociopath is they very much. Do not want to die. Um, 
whereas the Joker does not care if he dies. So, was he using the Joker movie or just Joker in the media? Kind of Joker as a character in general. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so, like, I can see, like, the I don't know, because the Joker movie, like the one, Joaquin Phoenix, right, the way that he played it, he did have a concern for his own life. Hence, while he's running away from cops in many different cases, right? He's doing everything to cover up what, what's happened. And if, I guess if I can make a general statement, but hopefully not overgeneralize this, is that one trait you typically will not see from psychopaths or sociopaths is recklessness. Yeah. That's a, that's a big, you will, they will not be reckless. Maybe in the movie specific, we were just like, as the character itself, you could point to many points, like many times where he was reckless, right? For the means, like mm-hmm. there was a means to an end, right? And again, uh, if you're just specifically talking about the Joker movie, yeah, that might be a little different than speaking on the character overall. Yeah. He wasn't always methodical in his, uh, his situation, so. I don't know. Uh, it, that's just one movie that comes to mind, like about it, like the making of a sociopath, right? Like how society essentially this this mind you, he's got a mental illness, right? Like, uh, but it's not that his mental illness makes him a bad person. It's it's the way that people treat him because of his mental illness and the way that society has been structured to essentially go against him, and then. Yeah. Him it becoming, I think, him finding his well, his way, his becoming like, a monster was like his way of self medicating, really. Yeah, but even like, like when he, when all of a sudden, like he kills the guys, does he accidentally kill? Like, it's not like he meant to kill the guys on the on the subway train, right? For it sure. was attacked him. Well, he, they attacked him, and he did things in self-defense, right? If they didn't attack him, he probably would like those killings would never have happened. But because of that, he becomes a folk hero. So now he has his his place in society, right? Even though he's still not known, he still has like he kind of found his people and where he belongs and his his claim to fame now, right? Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know how to describe that one. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, but just... I, the thing that got me, I, you and I have talked about this before. Like that movie could have been made about anybody else. Yeah, and that like, was you were kind of the rare contentious opinion about that movie when it came out. Like it's it grew on me the last time I watched it because I like the way that they used his mental illness. For example, him laughing that like they show him at a comedy club. Right. This is not. This is him not like performing. He's watching comedy as like a way to kind of figure out the trade, right? And he's taking notes as, and he's laughing at inopportune time. So the audience laughs, and then he laughs after their laughter dies down. And it's it, and he's looking around at all the people as he's laughing, and nobody's laughing with him. And I found that kind of interesting that, like, he's attempting to fit in the best way he can. Mm-hmm. Um, but his mental illness doesn't allow that. So he's still an outsider. He'll still always have that problem. Right? 
there was things like that with that movie. I thought that they did really well. And I was like, oh, that's that's kind of an interesting way of, of playing with it. So, you know. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that came into it. So, um, yeah, I still feel the same way though. Like the movie didn't have to be made with the Joker. Like they could have just made any other character. It's it's the, the it's the diehard clause. Right at the end of the day, because they they put John McClane's name on it, it's diehard. But it could have been any other freaking character in the world, right? Or even to a certain extent. Mission Impossible, right? When you watch those movies, even though they're good movies, part like you and I were talking about this part three, like all of a sudden they put Ethan Hunt's name on it and it's Mission Impossible, but it doesn't have to be Ethan Hunt. It could have been any other, like it could have been any other spy espionage movie. <laughs> so, um, as we're talking about this, I keep trying to think of like Quentin Tarantino. Like, when he makes a movie, is he making it in a way to tell two different stories? And, and maybe not even tell two different stories, but, like, have multiple objectives, I guess. Pulp Fiction is the one that comes to mind, but I wouldn't know what the objectives in that film are. Even Reservoir Dogs is a straight-up just, like, telling of gangsters... You know, um, Kill Bill is a story about revenge. Honestly, straightforward. It's just a revenge plot. Yeah. Um, Hateful Eight is a western with revenge ideas tied to it. Django, revenge western. <laughs> like, but the objectives aren't like there. There's there's nothing different. Even even in Glorious Bastards, like it's it's really there's no like. He's not trying to tell, like, you watch it and you get, like, you get the feeling he's just kind of telling the story for the story's sake. Yeah. What other films come to mind for you, though, man? I don't know. I guess I really can't think of one. Godfather, Godfather, like, honestly, the only reason that Godfather comes to mind is because I'm watching the offer. Like, that's the only reason. It makes me want to watch Godfather. Yeah. That's a movie I could never get through. Why is that? I just couldn't. I just don't have is, it, is it too dry? Yeah, I, I just can't get into the Godfather. I'm not the world's biggest, like, mob movie guy anyway, but I just, I can't get through Godfather. I've tried. What was... <laughs> Did you? You never saw Scarface, did you? No, I saw Scarface, and I was underwhelmed. Eh, I didn't care for it. Interesting. So you're not. So when it comes to mob films, you're just like whatever. Yeah, I was, was a couple. Like I've never seen Casino. Never seen Goodfellas. Um, uh, see, okay. I did sort of like Carlito's Way. Um, that was the one with Johnny Depp, right? No, well, that that was uh, Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Okay. And it's not something I could watch very often, and this is kind of getting out of the genre sort of, but I do I do kinda of like Heat. Um not really a mob movie anymore, but Donnie Brasco. That was the one yeah. I was thinking about with with uh with Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, yeah. Um 
Which is an interesting role for Al Pacino because Al Pacino typically plays like the alpha male mm-hmm. in all of his films. Um, and here he is like playing this low-level mafia guy who just happens to bring in Johnny Depp's character who happens to be an FBI agent. And so it's a, it's a different role because he's not like a well-respected mafioso. He's just a regular guy, you know, a regular soldier, so to speak. So... Um, but you saw you saw a gift, Shorty, right? Yeah, but that's a comedy. Uh, it's a mafia movie, right? It technically, as weird as it sounds, I saw Be Cool first. Did you really? Mm-hmm. What a horrible way to get introduced to that! <laughs> it, it really is. Like if you think about it, like it's it's uh, there's there's got to be so many better ways to get introduced to that to that job to that movie. Um, did you see Analyze This with Billy no. Crystal? No? Okay. Um, I don't know. I do, I do like a good crime film. I think, um, Godfather. So here's what I have to say about Coppola when it comes to any of like his films. He made two really good films. Godfather 1, Godfather 2, everything else is just, you know, bullshit. And I, and I know everybody will like, oh, but Apocalypse Now and Tucker and blah, 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 blah. They're pretty movies. But as far as I'm concerned, like, if you want, like, his movies really are the Godfather, the, two, the first two Godfather movies. Even Bram Stoker's Dracula. Did you see Dracula? Bram Stoker's? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Coppola's version of it with Gary Oldman. Yeah. Okay. Could you consider that one to have two objectives? You have the story of Dracula, right? Like a horror film. But you also have the love story, the undying love that will never, like the love that will never die. I consider that more of a subplot. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not referring to subplots in this instance. I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to think of, like, how how to categorize it. In that, like, the way that you're thinking about it. I'm trying to figure out, like, how, how to categorize that. Because you're saying it's not telling, technically telling two different stories, but it's just trying to get you to think about things in different ways. Mm. Huh. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's not like, I mean, like in the sense of like, here's this one interpretation of American Psycho where it's this breakdown of a psychopath. And here's this other interpretation of it where it's this cultural critique. That's what I mean. The cultural critique being always these people so caught up in their own... Well, just that it was 
society breaking down. You have to see like the uh, the video to see what I mean, but uh, it's just this commentary on how we've become so atomized and you know we're so lost in materialism and everything like that. Uh. Hmm. I'd have to keep my like eyes on it when that happens. Like to kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to keep my eyes out and see that what happens. That's the thing. Would, would you even like know it if you were not looking for it? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, anyway. I, I don't, I don't know if you would. Um, I mean, the only other things that I can think of are like uh, Christopher Nolan would be one who would like try to tell a story that that immense, right? Um, I'm just trying to think of like where he would do it. And it makes me kind of want to go back and rewatch things like uh, Memento. Um, you know, um, to see if, if he tries to kind of delve into that kind of thing. Because um, he doesn't do it. Like there's nothing in, in the Batman trilogy where I feel like he was being over about, like there was nothing that was like in your face in that kind of way. And I, I could definitely see the, the, who did American psycho? Was it the same writer and director? No. Oh yeah. Mary Heron uh, did the screenplay. Okay. And she directed it. So I don't know, like when she wrote it, I could see her probably coming up with that, right? Using that as, as, as a, as a, as a vehicle, wanting to outline like it's society's collapse as the background. That's that's all you got. Yeah. Um, we should. I expected your expertise to fill in. No, dude. Like that. <laughs> it's hard because, uh, like, I didn't come prepared for this, so I couldn't like put anything together. Um, that I'm would real Germany down. I'm letting Germany. Wow, that's all right. The Germans will live. Mm-hmm. They'll be happy. Um. Well, on that note, man, I do have to say, like, we can talk about other shit if we need to, but um, I wanted to give you, like, I thought it'd be fun. I think we talked about this a little bit because uh, you always send me little articles or something. And I always thought it'd be fun to get your take on shit uh, when it comes to, like, some of these things that you send. I can't remember the last one that you sent me, though. <clears throat> Okay, hold on. You did send me this YouTube video. The cruise run explained. What is this? You sent me a YouTube video. The cruise run. Why Tom Cruise's run matters. It's literally just him running through movies? Well, because it's kind of a meme. He's sort of known for it. And, uh, yeah. 
it's it's sort of become a staple in cinema and it was just an interesting little breakdown video about it okay have to watch it. What did you think of the thing that I sent you about Count Dooku? That's cool, I guess. Like this whole idea of uh, seeing him like, before he fell. Well, it's not even that they see him before he fell, but his idea of like in his mind, he didn't leave the Jedi Order to go to the dark side. It's just you and I. You this is something you and I have talked about in, in regards to Kotar, right? Next to Republic Two, where essentially the Jedi. That you are, um, who's who's Kreia is her name? Mm-hmm. Um, Kreia is basically teaching you almost in the exact same way that, like, when you read this story about Dooku, like, it's it's almost like that same kind of idea. Like, sh- he sees the corruption in the Jedi Order, and he doesn't necessarily agree with the all light or all dark principles. Mm-hmm. And so he just believes in like there should be an order to the galaxy, and these guys aren't meeting it. So I'm going to leave. So it's only through that that he becomes corrupted. Second Kotor took it a step further than that, which I love. In what way? Whether it was intentional or not. There's almost a throwaway line in the very first Star Wars movie where Obi Wan is. First, give, is giving Luke his first lessons on board the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. and so he's explaining the things to him, and you know Luke's doing the remote thing with the lightsaber, and he's telling him about the Force, and Luke says, "You mean it controls your actions?" And Obi Wan says, "Partially, but it also obeys your commands." And that was it. And from then on, when you thought of the Force, I thought about Luke, like moving things with telekinesis, telekinetics, or lightning, or Vader choking people or anything like that. Yeah. I don't think anything ever really, you know, and it was, it was kind of, it was a throwaway line, but it was like nobody decided to go, wait, wait a minute. Okay, but go back. It controls your actions. Uh, intentional or not, I think Kotor 2 was the only, only attempt I've ever seen or heard of that went into explaining or trying to explore that idea a little more. And that was Kreia's thing. So Kreia was a Jedi. And I'm assuming she was a master, so she had a Padawan. Her Padawan's name was Revan. And she fell to the dark side of her and became Darth Rhea. And she was betrayed by two other Sith Lords. So she was the Sith Lord no longer. So she had actually left both schools of thought, if you will. Mm -hmm. And actually her whole motivation at the end was that she hated the Force itself. And she was actually trying to kill, destroy, whatever, the, the Force. Yeah. And if you actually take the time to have the dialogue with her in between missions and you get enough, you raise your influence with her so she reveals more things to you. Um, You make some comment to her about how but Revan fell the dark side. And she said, did he? Or was he always just true to himself? And 
she says more to the point of kind of alluding to the fact, did Revan even have a choice? Or was Revan, like all of us, being everybody in the whole galaxy, just dancing to the tune of the Force? Do we so, like, all the, the, the tune is, like, or the Force is your, like, leads your destiny, essentially. Yeah, everyone's destiny. Yeah. So, um, the Force decided it needed the Revan, Revan to do what he did, and sort of, she went into that whole thing. Um, and I was like, I've never, it's the only Star Wars story I know of like that. Yeah. Star Wars, Star Wars doesn't really tread on those like then, then, let's let's be let's be honest here. Like the last three movies, what they could have done with the story of Ray was unfortunately undone by the by the carelessness of telling the story. Right? They could have really brought those aspects of the Force and Destiny and what's actually supposed to happen. Like who's, you know. They could have brought that in there, but they were careless with the story to begin with. In a way to make money, like it just felt like it was a money grab in many ways. Sure. Um, this has Star Wars in the name. I'm legitimately asking this because I don't really, but do you kind of know anything about what Lucas's ideas for 7, 8, and 9 were about? Uh, I know that uh, Luke was to fall to the dark side, and that's all I know. Okay. I was I was just wondering if because I, I know I'd heard something like there was about there's this like race of beings that are like force priests or something like that. I don't... Yeah. So uh, the okay. So uh, the here here it is. <clears throat> oh, it was here just a minute ago. Uh, George Lucas said uh, the sequel trilogy would have been would have been focused on Leia Organa, Luke Skywalker's sisters. The movies are about how Leia Lucas started. Uh, stated adding, I mean, who else is going to be the leader? Is trying to rebuild the Republic. Luke is trying to restart the Jedi. Um, and then the Jedi have to grow again from scratch. So Luke has to find two, three-year-olds and train them. Uh, so with both Darth Vader and Darth Vader, they saw the picture of the galaxy far away. It was left in a peaceful state. Uh, so then it would have returned. Darth Maul would have been who returned. And then his apprentice, Darth Talon, um, so he was like a lot of this, I guess, was the way that it sounds like is he was alluded to in the, um, in the comics is the way that he, so a lot of it was already kind of built in the comics and it was going to lead in that kind of same direction. Um, but, but from what I understand, originally Luke, uh, Luke was, was supposed to fall to the dark side and then be redeemed. Okay. So. Much in the same way that his father was. So, I I still like the sequel trilogy. I still feel like maybe should never have happened. Like in general, like 
if it just ended with Return of the Jedi, because again, we've talked about this so many times, just ad nauseum, that it that the, the sequel trilogy in many ways undoes Anakin's sacrifice. Right. Like it undoes like the biggest plot hole that it has for it is it undoes like it just unwinds all that shit. And so and again, you and I have suggested it was a cash grab. We put Star Wars in the title. Enjoy it. This is all we can get. So, you know. Um, but I like that idea. Like, I love movies that deal with that idea of destiny. What are, like, even Matrix. Like, the first Matrix for the story. Like, get rid of all the, like, fancy bullshit that happened. Right? But the idea of, like, what's... Are we destiny? Like, what's our destiny? What are we driving at? That sort of thing. Um, you know, who rules us? Um, are we just minds in a machine? Right. And then we're just kind of being puppeted, um, you know, and, and it's the same question. I think that like us as Christians, ask, right. Like at what point is God's hand directly involved over our actions versus do we have free total free will over our lives? Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting, that's, that's a really cool thing. Um, since we're on the subject of the Knights of the Republic, did you see the remake? I don't even saw the teaser. Okay. Which is all that's come out. Like, that is all that's come out. I doubt we'll ever get it, but that's all that's, that's happened. The cool teaser trailer. So, All right, man. Well, I don't, I don't have anything else. <laughs> this was mostly a booze episode. Oh yeah, but how'd your how'd your eggnog come out? Is it uh, it almost gone? All I have left is like this egg. It's like foam. I can't get out. Uh, how? It's really really in there. <laughs> Whip the fuck so that means I just drank two cups of milk, a cup of heavy cream, and half a cup of bourbon with four eggs. When you go back to the gym. <laughs> Tomorrow, there you go. All right. Wake up when you're in the gym working out. Getting rid of that. Drink an entire batch of eggnog myself. So you still have symptoms of this whole like sickness. How long until you're done? Like how long is it cleared up? They gave you antibiotics, right? No. Oh. They're like it'll go away naturally. Oh, I didn't know it was a virus. Okay, I thought it was bacteria. No. Wow. Okay. They gave me a steroid for my rash and a cough suppressant. And you're still coughing. The yeah. rash is gone. Well, I still feel it. Like, you saw me feeling my face, like there's a texture to my face. And oh, like, I, there's like that rash on my hand. Oh, damn. Um, and it was, so when that, the rash broke out of my face, my lips swelled up really bad. And I don't know if this is winter or anything like that, but aside from swelling, they also chapped. And I've I've been using Blistex every day, and I just cannot get rid of my chapped lips. They just chapped. So I don't know if it's the virus or not. Did you did you think you contracted it when you moved in in Virginia when you moved to? You moved if I had to guess, I'd have to say it was those two days I spent in the cheap hotel because I, I ran out of time in the. Uh, 
the Navy Lodge that I was staying in. And uh, there was a two-day gap. So I just got a really cheap motel room for a couple of nights. And if I had to guess, I'd say I got it there. That sucks. So in other words, that hotel was probably not clean at all. All that fun shit. Yeah. That is what it is. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, I'm still dealing with uh, the flu situation. So I, a couple, like, after um, Thanksgiving, uh, like, literally the day after Thanksgiving, I, I caught the flu really bad. Um, and it's weird because, I like, I, even when, COVID, when I got COVID, I didn't get a fever. Like, I just kind of had the sweats, the night sweats, right, and, and chills. This time I, I had a pretty bad fever. Uh, it knocked me out for about a week. And then... I went back to, I woke up one Saturday morning and I couldn't hear out of my left ear. Like it was completely plugged. Um, and just, and I didn't think anything of it. I was like, whatever, it's just plugged there. Like it'll unplug. It's probably just from sinus pressure and all this other stuff, but I could not get rid of it. So I went to the gym the following Monday. Um, and I was halfway through my second set of exercises and I almost passed out. Like I was just, I was, I was, did some deadlifts. Um, uh, I, I went in for uh, some squat jumps, and then I was coming down for a uh, some plank, um, Nita Nita elbow planks. And I was getting through my second set, and I stood back up, and everything kind of went black. And I was having problems breathing, um, and I like I almost passed out. I was like, "Holy shit!" So I went ahead and I stopped my workout and I started to actually, like I was able to actually see, had spots and all that stuff for a little bit, um, but I was actually able to see because the way the gym is, is like just light pouring into the uh, freaking thing. So like, it was weird how like when my vision started to come back, like I could suddenly start to like, it, everything was just bright. <laughs> it was, it was very, very strange. Um, so anyways, though, I, I got my shit and I got out, I kind of left. I was like, well, if I, you know, that way. And I started to feel better when I got in the car, but so I went to the, I went to the uh, urgent care that day and I was like, yeah, this is what happened. They took my blood pressure and I guess it was really like super elevated. They were a little concerned about that. Um, and then they told me that, uh, that the ear thing was just a cold thing, sinus pressure, all that fun stuff. Just go home, take some use next. You'll be fine. So it was a week later. I went to the doc and this time now I'm starting to get really bad vertigo. So like my head's all like lightheaded, still can't hear out of the air. Go to the doc, doc gives me a prescription, nothing. Like it doesn't do anything. And the vertigo is getting worse. Like it's an everyday kind of occurrence. So I went to the ENT before I left for Orlando and um, they gave me another prescription. She looked in my, she actually like looked up my nose. I put a camera all the way up my side. Like it felt like a COVID freaking test. Um so everything looked fine there, but they did an auditory exam and they're like, this ear doesn't hear as well as this ear. And she thinks it's like, obviously all related to whatever's going on, but she's like, if you're still having problems hearing out of this ear, she's just like, we're going to make a follow-up appointment where you're going to redo the auditory thing. And she's like, you're showing signs that you could have a tumor on a nerve. The, it's called the eighth cranial nerve that lives in your ear. Um, and, you're, and it picks up sound vibration. It actually helps like, keep balance and all this shit. And she's like, so we're seeing that there could be like a tumor there. So we got to do an MRI. So she's like, we're going to have you go through this and then this, and then we'll do the MRI. Fuck. 
So I haven't been able to work out in like two months, a month and a half now. So yeah. So kind of bullshit, <laughs> but it is what it is. So yeah. So I know, I know, I guess all of this, all I'm saying is like, I know kind of when you're like, you've had this like bullshit, like thing that's just not going away. You're like, come on, what the fuck? Like, what's happening? So I don't know, man. Hopefully you start to feel better soon. So you, you kick this shit pretty soon. So be nice. Man. Sorry to hear that. Right. It is what it is. I'm, I'm still alive. That's all that matters. It sucks, but we'll figure it out. You know? So. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, fucking well. All right, man, on that note, we don't need to, like, go into our bullshit health yeah. excuses Germans don't care about. So, <laughs> all right. but, all right, man, I'll let you go. It was fun. Um, we'll, uh, we'll do this again again soon. Uh, but, hey, I'm John. Or I'm Steve. You sure? For sure you no. are. I, I'm, I'm Steve. <laughs> and this is Quixotic. Have a good night, guys.